Welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Rex Podcast. Ooh, scary. It's 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 the beginning of our Halloween series of podcasts where each episode will be focused on something horror, Halloween, October related. Uh, it's our own version of an October surprise. Uh, <laughs> it's it's the Halloween series of episodes. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about our favorite Halloween literature. You know, this could be Halloween books, this could be monster books, horror books, or horror comics, whatever. If it's long, it, it's printed on dead trees, which I think is the best way to describe this, uh, that it can count. Uh, and this week, I'm joined by Hannah, Hello. Cal, hey. Harper, hey. and Shane. Hey, hey! so it's the whole gang, and I'm Kyle. Um, and so we're going to talk about our favorite things to read during the scariest time of the year. And I'm going to begin with my uh, – my, uh, I have many horror experts on this podcast, but the guy who I generally think of as my horror guy, Harper. Uh, let's talk about some of your favorite things to read during the uh, spooktacular month of October. Sure. I've got a couple couple of picks, but um, the, the first one I wanted to mention is something that's pretty recent, and that's House of Penance that just wrapped pretty recently. It is a horror comic based around the, the Winchester house, which I didn't know that much about until recently. Um, I actually think it was uh, – was it one of you guys that posted the uh, article about they just found a new room in the Winchester house? Yeah, it was uh, my friend Rachel posted it yeah, on my right. wall because she and I visited a couple years ago. Yeah, so uh, I'd be interested to hear your your take on this for sure because I didn't really know that much about it. I, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't really know uh, a lot about the lore. But um, in in general, in in real life, and uh, historically, the Winchester House was owned by Sarah Winchester, who inherited this like insane fortune based on the Winchester rifle, and uh, had this huge mansion that uh, that was constantly under construction. Um, and that's kind of the the setting for the book is that basically, you know, this house has got all these carpenters that are constantly 24 hours a day working and changing rooms and moving things around. And there's this kind of um, mysterious supernatural force that's always kind of surrounding everything. And it's it's all about kind of how um, how her guilt about what the Winchester rifle, all the deaths that it caused over over the years, um, how that guilt sort of manifests physically as this this kind of unknowable monster. And so she's always trying to kind of figure out a way to atone for it. So um, it's got a lot of really interesting characters and, um, and gorgeous art. It's uh, drawn by Ian Bertram and uh, written by Peter Tomasi and, and drawn by Ian Bertram. He's got this real kind of like um, kind of Frank Quitley style a little bit, um, but a little, uh, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but uh, he, he had done some other um, kind of short stories and stuff that I'd seen before. And that was what initially drew me to it. But um, it's a really, really interesting book. It's I think it's it was six issues, and uh, I think there's a trade coming out pretty soon. But just really interesting kind of historical uh, horror fiction. So that's one I would highly recommend that uh, that just wrapped up. I would definitely like to check that out. It's a topic ripe for you know exploring. I think I didn't know anything about the Winchester House when I went. It, we were just nearby on a business trip, and Rachel was like, "Hey, I kind of want to stop here." And she told me a little bit about it before we went on the tour, but not much. I thought it would be like a haunted house or something. And it was it was unreal. Like you there's two tours. The tour we went on was kind of the shorter, more basic one. And it was still like a 45 minute tour. Uh, They have another one where you actually like put on a hard hat and go into certain areas of the house that are a little harder to access. But um, it basically what you described kind of sums it up you know she had this fortune from her i don't i don't th- i think she may be married into it but i'm not certain maybe she didn't but anyway the the rifle fortune and i think at some point some kind of psychic or medium told her that the spirits of the people killed by these rifles were after her and that to escape them she needed to constantly change the path of her house so that they would be confused and not be able to find her in the house So when you go in, it's like, I mean, I remember one room where there was a window that looked into the lower floor of the house. It wasn't even to outside. It was just to another floor. And then there was a door that just opened to outside on the second floor. Like there was no room. You would just fall out and die if you went out. And there was like a crawl space. Like every room had multiple 
entrance points. Some of them were real. Some of them were fake. Some of them took you to bizarre locations. It was, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. I mean, that, that describes the way that the book looks and they, um, it sounds like they, they nail it pretty well. Um, and just how totally strange. And there's a lot of kind of like crazy moments where somebody, you know, opens the door trying to run away and they're, you know, they're opening a door to the outside. <laughs> all mm-hmm. of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really good. Did anybody, has anybody else read it? No, I had never even heard of the Winchester house, which kind of blows my mind because it sounds awesome as hell. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely going on my list. I have not read it though. You know, my, my, my intro to the uh, Winchester house was actually through Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. There's an issue dedicated to it, I guess, towards like the middle part of the run before, uh, like like right around the time John Constantine shows up and uh, takes him around America. That's one of the stops they make uh, is to that house. And I, when I was recently rereading it, I, I was like, wait a second. This is the place that Hannah and Rachel went to. <laughs> so uh, that was that was a fun whole discussion. Um, but uh, yeah, they, I, I, I like Ian Bertram's art a lot. I remember he did an issue of like Bat, uh, Batman and Robin Eternal or something, and I remember it was uh, very similar to like Quietly. And um, actually, the guy who reminds me the most of is the person who just did the um, who did the, that that X Men book with Chris Burnham during Civil during uh, Secret Wars. Ian Bertram did the covers for this. No, oh, did well then. Maybe, maybe that's <laughs> it. I was I was trying to think of who the artist was though. They kind of re- remind me of. Yeah, each there's other. another guy that has a real, real similar style. I can't remember his name. Yeah, uh, but that that artist for that book, uh, yeah, they, they're all in the same vein. So just like um, the guy that does Manhattan Projects too, Nick Vitara. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that's that that yeah, Peter. That's a, that's a cool. It's a cool sounding book, Harper. And you know, I've got a few friends that have told me about it. Um, be interesting to see Tomasi do something outside of superheroes. Yeah. What what did you did you have a second selection? Yeah, so uh, um, another one that I, I would I've probably brought up before on the podcast, but it's uh, one of my perennial favorites um, is Lock and Key, um, another kind of horror comic. Um, so written by Joe Hill, who's um, Stephen King's son, and uh, it's drawn by Gabriel Rodriguez. It's a book about this family that goes through this horrible tragedy, and then they move back into the father's childhood home, which is a, a kind of this weird magical house that has all these mystical keys that do all these different things like let you open up your head and take some of your emotions out if you don't want to have them in there um, and let you uh, change your gender or um, open a door to anywhere you want. Um, So Lock and Key is this really, really brilliant combination of really brutal horror and also this kind of childlike imagination and wonder that works really, really well and has a little bit in common with some of the better kind of classic Stephen King works kind of the New England setting and um, some of the family stuff that goes on, but really kind of an interesting mythos that Hill and Rodriguez put together over, I think, six volumes. And I think there's something new actually coming out uh, sometime in the next couple months, like a a one-shot or something like that. But overall, it's one of my favorite series of all time, and it's um, very creepy and um, emotionally heartbreaking. uh, And, yeah, it's a a great read, one of my all-time favorites. I like it a lot too. And uh, there was a uh, pilot that they filmed for a TV show and it's a good comic to adapt to TV. It was going to be on Fox and you can actually still watch the Comic-Con trailer for the pilot. And it looks pretty similar to the comic. It just never aired. And I think it even had a screening at Comic-Con, but then the pilot just never made it to air. And hopefully maybe one day somebody will choose to adapt it again, but hopefully as a TV show and not as a movie. Yeah, Joe Hill's had some bad luck with that. I know recently he was trying oh, to do the yes. same thing with uh, Tales from the Dark Side. He was trying to bring that back, and it did not work, which is why there's a, a book of his scripts coming out instead. <laughs> I hope he hope he has better <laughs> luck with like adaptation yeah. than he did with that book that got a, adapted of his. Like, uh, yeah, you have you have horns, which you would only know was a movie because the only cover you can get for it now has Daniel Radcliffe on it. So no, <laughs> yeah, it was not a good movie either. The the book's all right, but the movie was oh my god! I had to watch. I did before I interviewed Joe Hill. I had to watch that, and oh. man, that was that was a hard interview because <laughs> you know you, you, it's one of those things where you walk in like man, what I just watched was shit, and I have to like put on a brave face <laughs> to interview you with. But that I you know I've read like an issue of Lock and Key. Uh, I haven't read much more than that, but I I know a lot of people that love it. 
It, it's really good. Joe Hill does a good job of creating characters that like you genuinely get upset when bad yeah. things happen to them. Definitely. Uh, you, you actually care about them. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. And there's a really good card game based on the comics, too. I know the the pilot for the series leaked onto the uh, 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 like leaked onto the internet back in. Oh, the whole thing. Oh, yeah, the whole thing because I because I've only seen the trailer for it. Yeah, it's so. hard to find. It's that and the old aborted pilot for Warren Ellis's Global Frequency, like things like that, almost always make their way online. They're just real hard to find. Yeah, I've always wanted to see that pilot. I've, I've obviously seen the trailer, but I've never been able to find it and watch it. I'd be curious. Yeah, I. I'm always uh, weirded out when I hear people describe it as a horror book because I remember I read the first volume and I liked it all right. But I think the first volume is very uh, horror light in a lot of ways. Mm. It, it it takes a little while for the series to uh, delve into some of the crazier, more ambitious stuff. Like I remember the first volume played with some horror tropes. But wasn't like wasn't like straight up horror, I think, in the way that, from what I understand, it becomes a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. But I still I still really enjoyed it. It was just an issue of uh, it was coming out around a time when I had no money. So, <laughs> but I mean, you've reminded me. I knew, I know I have to check this out. Well, Hannah, I know you are excited to talk about your uh, two picks. One of them will be very familiar to us, uh, you know, based on a future episode. Yeah, I messed up and I didn't realize that black hole was going to be a whole podcast unto itself. (laughs) And so I picked that one. (laughs) So I won't really say much about it because obviously we'll be talking about it a lot more, but you know, the, the kind of premise is, I guess, kind of body horror essentially, because you've got these teenagers who contract an STD that basically causes body mutations and kind of isolates these individuals I think I read it all in one afternoon. I remember Kyle just kind of randomly saying, hey, check this out. And I just devoured it all in one sitting because I just I enjoyed it that much. And it's it's very creepy, definitely leans heavily on the body horror. So we don't have to talk about that much. (laughs) Consider this a sneak preview for a future episode. And then the other pick I had was just the most generic, obvious, boring pick I could possibly make. But I also couldn't not pick it, which is House of Leaves. Talking about the Winchester house, I mean, it really reminds me of that book. Essentially, House of Leaves is like a story within a story within a story because you've got the story of this person documenting the strange effects of this house that he's living in and how, you know, kind of corridors appear and disappear and things seem to move. And then you've also got footnotes of a person who's found this story and you've got other references to other stories within the story. It's just really interesting and complicated. I think one of the more frightening books I've ever read. So it's also one of the hardest books I've ever read, like not in a quality sense, but like, like this, the footnotes and stuff. Oh yeah. This book is yeah. really difficult to read. And I remember my favorite, um, analogy that uh, a friend of ours came up with when we did a book club about it like years ago was that, uh, trying to get through this book is like trying to get through the maze mm-hmm. that is that basically the book is essentially based around, and uh, some people can get through it and some people can't. I love it. I've read it a couple times now. I think I find more each time. So That's one where I think the intimidating reputation has kind of held me back from diving into it. And I, I know that I want to, but God, my, my to-read shelf is it's, it's embarrassing and it makes me sad to think about. And so whenever I, someone recommends like a really com- like a really big – uh, complicated thing like that. I just look over at that shelf. And I'm like, oh, oh well. So, but I, I know I need to get to it. I've heard nothing but great things. So, Cal, I'll say that the the format is complicated, and like the type of the footnotes is small, and that makes it a little difficult to read. But the actual writing is very simple. If that helps, like you go through it fast in terms of it's not difficult to read or slow slow of a read i think for me uh the thing that always uh put me off from really dedicating the time to it was the was the density because as i understand it it's a a very dense book if not a very uh difficult one yeah it is long it's long but it's a quick 
I, I wouldn't call it an easy read, but I would call it uh, easy reading level, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's not one of those books where you read a paragraph and you have to think about it and read it again. Like you go through it pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not like trying to read Infinite Jest, you know, right. but it's there's there, the footnotes. I'm, I don't like footnotes like I, I hate those in books and because I'm always distracted by them and I'm always like trying to figure out, OK, does, is this going to interrupt my my train of thought while I'm trying to read this to jump over to this? And the thing is, most footnotes are innocuous, but mm-hmm. in that book, they're very important. You uh, could you could almost go through it and not read them and get one version of the story. Yeah. You know, you know, like it, it basically it adds a separate whole story on top of the regular story, which I think is definitely worth reading, but it is in a sense optional too. Yeah. It's also, I, I recall like my first introduction to that book was when, uh, cause the author, his Mark Daniel Levsky, his sister is the singer songwriter Poe, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, they had that song, Hey Pretty that was on the radio back in like the late nineties, I think, or very early two thousands. Uh, but that song is like about the book, I think to some extent. So it's sort of like this, sort of like this weird multimedia, uh, synergy between the two of them, I think, um, which I always thought was pretty neat, even though I can't remember ever anything about the actual song. Is anyone trying to tackle his, his new, like, 27-volume uh, series, uh, The Familiar? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> when did that start? Did it just start now? It started in, in May of 2015, and it's three books in right now. Um, and I think he wants to release two books a year until he gets all 27 out. Dang. It's, <laughs> I mean, he's ambitious. Like, the... The 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 story itself. I mean, just jogging my memory, it's like there's a manuscript in the story that's the the subject of a documentary film in the story, and then this guy's actually writing about it, and then there's a guy who found all of this stuff who's writing about it. Like he's he's a fan of these very complex layered approaches. It sounds like I I picked up the book uh, he wrote after this that was shorter where there was a book that you could read forwards or backwards. And I, man, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I, I, that, that was a really hard book to read and I returned it to Barnes and Noble or that. something else. Um, but I, I appreciate these sort of, um, I don't know, these authors that attempt to do something different with words and attempt to, uh, experiment a little bit with the narrative form. That's pretty neat. And frankly, it's probably the closest I've ever gotten to like feeling creeped out by, words on a page yeah, uh, which i'm not really one you know for horror fiction like that but it's pretty cool all right so let's let's scoot over to cal then uh, this was actually pretty hard you know I, I love horror and i was trying to think when we first came up with the topic i was like oh god i don't read that much horror like what do i want to pick and then i thought of like 30 things that i wanted to talk about I figure i should probably uh limit it a little bit But uh, the first thing I wanted to bring up is um, something that I found a few years ago that I just thought was really cool. This was about a year ago that I read it, and it's called In the Dust of This Planet. And what it is, is it's a book of, it's it's called In the Dust of This Planet, The Horror of Philosophy. Hmm. And it's a book about, it's a book of the philosophy behind horror. So not like... Not like those, um, like the Tao of Simpsons or something, or the philosophy of the Matrix or something like that, where it's like, how does the Matrix teach you about Buddhism? The, the, pre- <laughs> the premise of this book is like, what are the underlying philosophical ideas behind like vast concepts of horror fiction? And so, like, where does cosmic horror thing come from? What is the relationship between heavy metal and demonology? You know, so it tackles all these different issues that I think, and I think it does so in a pretty interesting way. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't always agree with the author, uh, Eugene Thacker, but I think that like anyone who is super interested in like writing horror, uh, especially, um, should read this just to get like a different point of view and kind of how nihilism applies to horror and just kind of this, uh, 
the history of thought behind all of the death and mayhem. That sounds really interesting. I've always been really kind of fascinated with why why horror works. As such a big fan of horror, I don't really. I, there, it was a long time when I didn't really understand why I liked it so much. And I, there's some really interesting theories about kind of evolutionarily and and psychologically why why we're drawn to it. And that, that thing's always kind of been fascinating to me. So I definitely have to check that out. I think it's interesting that the, the, someone drawing the line between like metal music and like devil mm-hmm. worship, you know, or or Satanism or whatever, because, uh, you know, where did that start? Uh, because that, you know, the, uh, the, w- what's the connection between the two? And uh, where, where at what point do you get from like, you know, Led Zeppelin, who were like Lord of the Rings nerds? To like, uh, you know, these sort of Icelandic Burzum type bands that are burning churches and shit. Like, I don't. Uh, I, I always, I'm always kind of curious how how the, how one step led to another. Um, one thing that I think will appeal to at least a couple of you, and hopefully some of our listeners, uh, some of like maybe two twenty percent of the ten of you who are listening. Um, uh, it was actually this book was actually a big influence on Nick Pizzolatto for the first season of True Detective. Um, a lot of Matthew McConaughey character Matthew McConaughey's characters kind of a view on life and kind of rants about that sort of thing come uh, at least obliquely from this book. Oh. Nice. Is this the one that people? This is not the one that people said he that, that he stole from outright though, right? Oh no, I don't believe so. Okay. What did he steal from outright? Thomas Ligotti's writing, I think. Uh, well, that's what people say. I don't know. Right? No. Yeah, I think uh, Thomas Ligotti wrote uh, The Conspiracy Against the Human Race, which is often compared to these books. Um, and anyone who enjoys this one, it's part of a three-volume series. The other two volumes, uh, which I have not read, are Starry Speculative Corpse and Tentacles Longer Than Night. So, uh <laughs> I know. It, I, I love the title "In the Dust of This Planet." Personally, that's pretty yeah. great too. Yeah, very good. Definitely uh, conjures a sense of dread just in that title alone. Yeah, it, 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 it's a, it's very evocative. I don't love Starry Speculative Corpse, but uh, "In the Dust of This Planet" and "Tentacles Longer Than Night" I think are both fantastic at uh, fantastically evocative titles. Yeah. So my uh, my next one, you know, I mean, I thought about doing um, a modern horror novel that I'd read, uh, like um, Scott Smith's The Ruins, which is an awful movie, but a surprisingly good book, or um, Paul Tremblay's A Head Full of Ghosts, which for a pop culture fanatic is just a fantastic book. But I, I realized that, you know, I mean, if you want to talk about like the author you should read, this October for Halloween, it's probably Shirley Jackson and Shirley Jackson. She died in the sixties. So, I mean, she's uh, a lot of the stuff that people know is a little bit older, but she's best known for two particular, um, two particular works. uh, One of which I think a lot of people may have read in school. I believe I did. And that's the lottery, which is a uh, 48 short story. Um, which is about a, uh, a a lottery that's held in a small village every uh, every year, and a lot of people like people are acting very oddly about the lottery, and you don't really find out why, uh, you know, until the very end of the story. But it's it's a good creepy story, but it has nothing. Well, I mean, it's a great story, but. She may be most famous in kind of the film community for writing uh, The Haunting of Hill House mm. in 1959. Uh, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal ghost story. It's been adapted twice into films, once in 63 and once in 99, uh, both times called The Haunting. And it was recently re-released with an absolutely gorgeous uh, cover and a um, the pages, the edges of the pages are all dyed black. The cover is this uh, gorgeous orange and black um, mat, and it's part of a uh, special series in liter- the literature of horror that's being curated by Guillermo del Toro at Penguin. So, if you want to dive into a great, great classic ghost story, uh, the Haunting of Hill House, this uh, new Penguin edition, 
I would just say just grab that. It's it's phenomenal. Those are the books with like the kind of neon covers, aren't they? Yeah. Like the color. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like Frankenstein's part of it, and I can't remember what else. Um, yeah, um, it's uh, oh gosh, I can't remember now either. Um, the Haunting of Hill House and Frankenstein were the only two that I had read previously. There um, might be. Is there not some? Um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Cthulhu. Um, Lovecraft. Yeah, is there not any of that in there? Um, There's there's a Lovecraft. There's Okay, sorry, it is The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, uh, which obviously many people have read, um, and it's, you know, some collected poems and stories. Um, Frankenstein, uh, The Thing on the Doorstep, uh, Haunted Castles, and American Supernatural Tales. But uh, for me, as much as I love Poe and Shelley, um, if I'm going to recommend just one of those, one of these to people for for this Halloween, I'm going to say dive into The Haunting of Hill House. And let's be honest, if you're into horror and you don't have Poe or Shelley by now, then you're not really into horror. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably fair. Um, well, The Haunting of Hill House, that's been that's been adapted a few times, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been adapted uh, twice. Um, I cannot remember right now. I know the 1999 one was very bad. Uh, yeah, I remember, except for uh, except for Luke Wilson getting killed in a horror movie is pretty awesome. I think that's that one, right? No, it's 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 uh, Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta Jones, Owen Wilson. Oh, Owen Wilson. And, yeah. yeah, and it's directed by Jan de Bont, who uh, you may know from Speed. Speed 2, and <laughs> Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Mm. Well, Speed's <laughs> real good. <laughs> but um, the 63 version is much is much more well-respected. I think it's probably um, better known. It was directed by Robert Wise, and it stars uh, Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, and Russ Tamblyn. That, that's that's the haunting, right? Yes. Okay, gotcha. That's that's the one uh, my friend had uh, clued me into on Facebook. I, said, that one reminded me actually. You tagged me in that. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 good. It may, they might, maybe 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 a maybe a movie club pick one day um, if uh, it's if it's worth watching. Yeah, and these are, these are not related to the House on Haunted Hill movies. No, that's so strange <laughs> and very confusing. <laughs> I, I never say the names. Of, I had to look up the names because otherwise I would absolutely have said the house on Haunted Hill. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, um, well, that's that. The, 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 those are great picks there, Cal. Uh, Shane, uh, what, what are what are yours? Um, so, yeah, I was kind of thinking about this and like there's. There's a lot of kind of more current um, horror comics that I really like, like uh, Ghosted wrapped up about two years ago. It's from Josh Williamson, who's writing The Flash right now. Um, and then also his other series, Nailbiter, although I would recommend Ghosted because it has a definite endpoint. And Nailbiter, it just seems to be going on and they don't know, they don't seem to know what they're doing. <laughs> Maybe they do, but they're dragging it on too long. Um, I zombie is good. Uh, Harrow County is a good one, but, uh, I kind of decided kind of where my mindset is right now when it comes to like horror media that I like, I mean, I still like stuff that's like legitimately scary things like that. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm kind of been a sucker for like monsters lately and just kind of classic monsters and like either like, big old monsters or things like werewolves and vampires and not like current vampires, like old school vampires, things like that. And zombies and old school zombies, not modern interpretations. So yeah, I've, I've came up with three comics. Um, all three ones I've been reading recently, um, mostly because I either am reading for them for the first time or whatever. Um, if you hear any squeaking in the background, that's my dog playing with a toy. But, um, anyway, um, I uh, just finished the six library editions of Hellboy for the first time, and I I adored it quite a bit. And like I remember over the summer, uh, Kyle and my brother Spencer were kind of going on a Hellboy kick at the moment, and uh, that's kind of what got me interested. And when I left uh, his apartment that summer, I took him home with me, and I finally got around to finishing all of them. And yeah, um, 
I, I love that series. I think I enjoy the more standalone stories more just because the idea of Hellboy is so much fun. Uh, and I just like the kind of standalone stories more than the ongoing stuff. But um, any kind of big monster stuff is is great. And Hellboy is a good example. And so that was my first pick. Let me tell you, Hellboy, real quick, man. Like that's that's like uh, like the best comic ever. Like it, it's pop, it's probably in my top ten. It, it's definitely in my top ten. <laughs> like I, I I read all of it uh, along with all of BPRD in the course of like a year as I could like afford to like get the library mm-hmm. editions and, uh, down, I downloaded the omnibuses for my, uh, mm-hmm. like I'm on comiXology and read them on my iPad and, uh, man, it's, it's so good. Uh, the best, some of the best, best like adventure storytelling in BPRD and Hellboy is just this very sort of thoughtful narrative to me. It, it yeah. feels like sort of the next, like, it, it was the next jump from Sandman, really, uh, where it kind of touches on fantasy aspects and uh, very introspective kind of stories, uh, but maybe even better because Mike Mignola's drawing a lot of it himself, yep. and his art is incredible, and it's so evocative. And uh, that book, I, I don't know, did you did you read all of Hellboy and Hell, Shane? Uh, no, I haven't read Hellboy in Hell. I've just the last where I ended was when he goes to hell. Gotcha. Um, well, yeah, that's 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 a yeah. really it's a um, really good end point. Uh, I, I, I kind of more. I mean, I'm going to read it, but I'm more interested in the BPRD stuff because that kind of stuff was what interested me more. That kind of concept of it, and I mean, probably um, my favorite Hellboy story is is the pancakes story um, <laughs> about him as a kid and the first time he eats pancakes in this entire city and hell mourns because he ate pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I showed Hannah the the Pam cakes, and and of course there's a great uh, panel in like one of the early stories where they're like, oh, it's a monkey, and then it's just this shot of Hellboy's face, and it says he's got a gun. Yeah, and the monkey, yeah, the monkey's got that handgun. Yeah, it's a it's a cool shirt with that on there now too. Though I really don't want to own a shirt with a gun on it to be honest, but um, but it's it's great, it's a great piece of art. Um, yeah, I, I love I love Hellboy. It's it's amazing, and I, I can't say much for the spinoff books other than BPRD. Really? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I know your brother likes Lobster Johnson, but um, I I I'm kind of fifty fifty on a lot of them, Witchfinder and all this other Ape Sapien, which I think is mm-hmm. actively very bad. But uh, those core books, man, the stuff written by Arcudi, stuff written by Mignola, that's yeah. as a plus. And yeah, like I said, like the ongoing stuff, like when they have an ongoing story is good. Like the last two library editions are pretty much an ongoing story. But for me, the short kind of one off stories are the best, I think. Just kind of those shallow dives into different parts of his timeline and stuff are really cool to read. And it's all better Um, than the movies. All of it. Really? Because I've been wanting to go back and rewatch them since I finished reading it. Um, That's that's a shame to hear because I, I have fond memories of the movies but now that i've read the comic maybe i won't like them as much oh boy um, this on the page man um another comic i picked is one that i've really like i know my brother and i have read it and i know one other person that has read it and i don't really know a ton of other people that know about it or anything and it's definitely not the most famous work from its creator uh it's this comic called wormwood gentleman corpse it is written and drawn by Ben Templesmith, who is most famous for uh, 30 Days of Night, um, which got adapted into a pretty successful movie, if I remember correctly, and a pretty mostly well-received movie, if I remember correctly, at least by fans. It's about this little worm that possesses corpses, and him and his robot assistant fight different monsters together. Uh, the first volume has to do with them kind of fighting more uh, kind of plant-in-nature monsters. The second volume has to do with them dealing with uh, leprechauns, who you can hardly read what they're saying, because not only does he write it in an Irish accent, but he also like slurs their speech because they're drunk all the time. And uh, the last volume, I think, has to do with like serpents and stuff. And it's about to come back with a special about the election year, which should be a lot of fun. I'm hoping Wormwood is like possessing... Uh, Donald Trump or something like that. 
but yeah, it's it's a great comic. Like um, one of my favorite moments is he has this closet of bodies that he can possess. He has his main one that he always uses, but something happens to it at one point, and he's trying to choose one. He ends up going with the body of a little girl, but you see Jesus's body hanging in the closet, and he says, "No, Jesus, I can't pull you out again. We got into too much trouble last time." <laughs> Has anybody on here ever read that one? I know if anybody, it would either be probably Harper or Cal. I've never heard of it, to be honest. It sounds pretty funny. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, I'll have to look at uh, I, I hadn't read that. And honestly, uh, with a beat with um, Hellboy, I have read one issue of every Hellboy series ever, and that is um, <laughs> that is uh, Abe Sapien number one, and I uh, never read another one. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I guess that's that's not a good representative sample. I'm learning. No, it is not. Uh, it one, one day we will talk about Hellboy and we will talk about Hellboy <laughs> in detail. But uh, I I look forward to that day. And uh, then the last book I picked, and hopefully it's one y'all have read because surely somebody will have something to say more than just me and Kyle. But um, The Goon is probably one of my top five favorite comics of all time, if not top three. Um, it is a hilarious comic about this guy and his friend that fight. Uh, it's kind of like a noir style that mixes like 50s gangster movies with 50s sci-fi movies with 40s monster movies. And uh, they, they fight zombies, they fight aliens, they fight any monster you can think of. And all while like hanging out at a bar doing what they do it's written by eric powell and drawn by him and it is probably some of the best comics art of the past 20 years 30, 20 30 years uh easily um if nothing else the goon is worth looking at because of its art and how can you not love a comic that has at one point there's this group of children that are hilarious in that comic and there's a scene where they're uh, alerting the goon to this giant uh, transvestite that is in town, and the goon has to go fight him. And at one point, Atticus Finch comes out to shoot him, and he ends up just making it angrier. And so the goon has to fight him. And, yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun. And Eric Powell's art, like I said, there's there's very few comics that I think have better art these days than Eric Powell. Yeah, I've read a couple of issues here and there, but I, I've never like latched onto it and, and picked up a, a trade or anything like that. But I've always kind of wanted to because, yeah, I, I know a lot of um, a lot of horror fans and and you know big big fans of the yeah. series for sure. And that, and I do right. love his art style. Powell's incredible. And it was going to become a movie at one point, and they had a Kickstarter for the movie, and David Fincher was going to produce it, but it never happened. But you can watch the test reel of it if you just Google Goon Movie or YouTube Goon Movie. You can watch it and kind of get a taste for it. Uh, Paul Giamatti does the voice of uh, his friend Frankie. Um, it's it's so funny. It's so much fun. It's uh, probably something... I, I mean, I'd read it any time of year, but it's it's probably one of the best comics to read around Halloween just because of how lighthearted it is and just what cool kind of creatures Powell comes up with to draw. And the easiest thing to do is, um, and it's easy on your wallet too, is they have these library editions. And when you hear library editions, you think it's going to be super expensive. But Amazon typically has each library edition for about 20 bucks, wow. and you get like several hundred pages of comics. Uh, it's, it's usually two to three volumes of the series in one library edition. Uh, they're on their third right now. The fourth library edition comes out next week, actually. But yeah, it's it's definitely worth it. I would definitely recommend at least checking out that first library edition since it's only 20 bucks. So, um, well, uh, that the, those are those are all fun comics, man. Um, I'll, I'll go real quick, uh, just because just for the interest of time. Plus, I don't have that much to say. I, I'm not a big horror person, largely, and I never read like much horror literature or any literature really, uh, <laughs> or really much horror comics. But there's one thing I do want to point out, though. I find that like most American horror comics don't do much for me in terms of like actual like oh that that creeped me out to read that like mm -hmm. i'd read i'll read like that um what is it witches with a y or whatever book that scott oh, yeah. does and i'm like ugh, whatever um but you know what really really freaks me out is manga and uh <laughs> right now I'm, I'm reading a thing for our book club uh in person book club called fragments of horror which I, which just the visuals of it are, are terrifying to me. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with sort of maybe a sense of like otherness 
to that to, to that Eastern perspective versus like what Westernized horror looks like. Uh, it's just it's just so alien to me, even though I have been over there now. It's the way the way things are presented are still very sort of uh, unsettling, especially in Japanese style horror. But uh, one book that I I really remember sticking with me from the manga side was Inio Asano's Nijiagara Holograph which is a book that I read about a year ago. Uh, and it's sort of a David Lynchian kind of tale as most of his like non Solonin work is. And, uh, it relates to this, the story of a young girl who gets thrown in a storm, dr- storm drain and killed, uh, by her friends. And what happens to all her friends 10 years later, as they grow up into sort of early adulthood. And, uh, there's a lot of sort of, uh, like, mystical elements to the story uh it's it's got some of those beautiful manga art i've ever seen from inio asano who's just an incredibly talented draftsman and you know it's it's a book that's very hard for me to describe but it's actually the first manga i ever read in an attempt to sort of broaden my comics reading horizons and it really really is just uh, a stellar work. Uh, they have a beautiful hardcover from Fantagraphics that you can check out. And I do, I do suggest you do so. Uh, if you ever want to take a look at what, who I think might be making the best, the best comics over in Japan right now He's also well known for good night, Poon Poon, which, uh, is a, a book that's being serialized that I love. Uh, and it's also very disturbing. Um, anyhow, I also wanted to give a quick shout out to, uh, to Fatal, uh, a book that uh, is not really scary or anything, but uh, it kind of plays in that Lovecraft vein, the Brubaker Phillips collaboration that sort of plays on the tropes of the femme fatale. Uh, but imagine if it, you, if it, you imagine if you were the noir trope of the femme fatale turned into sort of a mystical creature, you know, this person who's an immortal that lives through the, uh, the, the ages, you know, but due to some, due to a curse that was placed on her by a cult and this cult that is now chasing her throughout the decades. And you get a chance to sort of follow along with her and your narrative protagonist right behind her. It's, it's a cool twist on like some of the, the mystery stuff that he's the pot boiling, like fiction that he's the big fan of, uh, but turned into like sort of this, uh, very cosmic horror story. I know Hannah read through all of Fatal in like a day. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. I definitely binged the hell out of it. <laughs> so I, I remember uh, like liking that one a lot. So, you know, decent horror, I think, for, for October. But about as close to ho- a good horror comic as I'll probably read. The other thing, just, just to mention it real quick, is like uh, since we haven't mentioned Stephen King at all, and generally speaking, I, I don't know why you would anyway, but uh, I do like uh, his 1970-something novel, Salem's Lot, which was one of the first uh, horror novels I ever read. I read it in high school, and uh, it was an incredible Dracula tale that takes place in like 1970s town of Jerusalem's Lot. These two uh, antiques dealers come to the city. Uh, one you see all the time, one you never see, and people are slowly being turned into vampires. And it kind of brings out the real monster in everybody at some <laughs> point, as as these things tend to do. But I think. Uh, while some of Stephen King's books are really just eye rolly, I think this one has like a, a young sort of verve that his later work is missing, a, an energy that uh, is hard to sort of deny. And I, I think it's probably still his best work, regardless of it, regardless of The Stand and The Dark Tower. I think Salem's Lot is just so like undeniably strong that uh, I, I think I, I don't know why more people don't think of it as, as his best stuff, but I guess because it's not an epic in the same way, it tends to get forgotten. But that anyway, was only like his second book, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> I know it's early, early in his career, but uh, it's man, it, it, it's a good one. None of the adaptations are any good, but it's a good book. <laughs> I think I think if there's one constant between all of our picks, it's that none of the adaptations are any good. Although I'll stick up a little bit for Hellboy, uh, even if it's not um, not as good as the series. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, there, there's at least visual invention in those in those movies. The, the, the goon might have been good if it ever actually got funding. So 
I, I'll have to look at that Nijigahara holograph, although it looks like it's out of print on Amazon. Already? Oh my God, they just did a second printing of it. <laughs> the hardcover is $51 right now. Ooh. Okay. All uh, right. But uh, uh, the paperback is cheaper, even though that's still from um, third party seller. But uh, yeah, I, I actually agree with you a lot that I think I have a hard time getting into a lot of American horror comics or Western horror comics, I guess. I find that a lot of them are way too dependent on the sort of thing we see in film horror. Uh, And so a lot of them try and replicate the nature of like the jump scares and the shocks and all that. And I don't think that comics is capable of doing a jump scare or uh, a shock, at least not as effectively as... uh, movies or television or even music uh can and so yeah comic would uh pretty much have to become a pop-up book to have a good jump scare yeah i mean and uh, there are ways that i've seen people try and do it where you have to structure it so that when you turn the page you're hitting the kind of shocking image so that it because otherwise you're going to see it out of the corner of your eye and you know adapt to it it's um there are some artists i think who do Solid horror work, uh, Magnola, um, Travel Foreman, I think, did pretty good on, on his brief stint with Animal Man. Um, Riley Rosmo does some good stuff. But for the most part, I think that um, I, comics needs to be that kind of um, creepier, bigger, more eerie thing that kind of sticks with you deep down. And I don't see a ton of a ton of horror comics that go for that. I mean, I, I think Richard Corbin's the king of, of horror comics, personally, and he's he's a guy that pops up on uh, pops up in, in Hellboy every once in a every once in a while. But uh, he did his own horror stuff for Eerie back in the day with EC Comics, and uh, he's he it's all about atmosphere, man. Yeah. And uh, it's it's you know, and not to kiss Harper's ass, but you know, jump scares are designed through sound. It's true. You, uh, horror movies aren't very scary when you mute them most of the time. <laughs> I mean, unless you're talking about Nosferatu or something, I guess like old silent films are creepy, but that's because they turn and look at you and it's really <laughs> disturbing. Like I, that, that, to me, there's nothing scarier than when a character breaks the fourth wall mm-hmm. and looks directly at you. I mean, hell part of, I almost picked animal man as, as a scary comic because I think it's, frightening the idea that this character realizes he's on a comic and turns and looks at you and is trying to get out of the damn comic. You know, the other thing too, is you mentioned, um, Western horror, not scaring you as much in terms of comics, but I think horror is just a harder genre, regardless of the medium. Like, you know, I, I love a good horror movie, but how many horror movies do you see to see a good one? You know, it Mm -hmm. takes, takes a lot. Yeah, it's much easier to do um, to do bad horror for sure. Uh, to do it really well is, in, like you say, in any medium is pretty difficult. I've, I've read a lot of horror comics that are just so-so, and obviously seen a lot of really terrible horror movies that you know, <laughs> for better or for worse. Um, but yeah, it's it's tricky to pull that off because I mean, that's the kind of interesting thing about horror too is that there's a lot of different kinds of horror in terms of like something that just kind of puts you on edge or something that jumps out at you and, and, you know, causes your heart to start beating super fast kind of thing. Or, or just something where like, like if you I think a really good horror comic is one where like you really don't want to turn the page cause you're afraid of what's going to be on the next page kind of thing. Um, yeah. so yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways to kind of elicit what we call horror. Um, some of some of which are much easier and lamer than others. <laughs> Most effective horror that I can think of is not the stuff that scares me in the moment because I can't think of anything that ever does that to me. Uh, but the after effect. I like being unsettled. Yeah. yeah, like like, but when I think about it later, and I'm like, well, I'm thinking about the ring, and I'm thinking about my TV now, yeah. and that's a little <laughs> a little scary. Um, it's like it's the only times I can think of like any time of being really disturbed. The witch is another example of something that kind of sure. disturbed me as watching it. You know, um, or like when Deb is on the ground and looks all weird. Oh, and uh, Exorcism of Emily Rose. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's at the, the the one good Scott Derrickson movie. Uh, it's just. That one scene i still think about it she was so creepy yeah yeah um but uh yeah, yeah I, it's horror is a tricky thing it's like comedy you know it's yep. scary it's very subjective yeah 
Yeah, I mean, because I know a lot of people that like really bad horror films. <laughs> it's <laughs> and there's a lot of those. It's just like there's a lot of bad comedy. Um, well, anyway, does anybody have any final thoughts before we switch over to the next next segment? Mm-mm. No. Okay, then we w- then we'll we'll move on to uh, our pop culture picks of the week. Uh, this is unhorror related just whatever uh, is floating your boat for this week and uh, uh be it comics books tvs movies games whatever whatever you're doing that's pop culture related that you want to tell everybody about uh hannah why don't you uh kick us off so i was gonna do westworld but everything is terrible and so i wanted to do something happy um so my pick is the great british bake-off which is an amazing show. It makes you feel like your television is hugging you and you're eating cake at the same time. It's just the most quintessentially like happy British show, even if you don't like baking. It's just this like cultural phenomenon. Um, and you can watch it on YouTube and feel happy. So on election day, I plan to take PTO and watch Great British Bake Off and bake and unwind that's what i'm gonna do to like stay calm <laughs> in, in the face of apocalypse the great i will bake, great british and, bake and yeah and and watch british people say nice things about each other's desserts wasn't there a controversy about the great british bake-off like a month ago though um so not really a controversy but the um contract they had with the bbc was up and the production company that makes it basically put it out to bid and another company, a private company bid more than the BBC and won it. But the talents involved, like the, the hosts and the judges um, who are fantastic were not tied to stay with the show. So the, the two really funny, quippy, ridiculous hosts, um, Mel and Sue said that if it moved away from the BBC, they weren't going to be part of it because it was a BBC institution. Um, and so did one of the older judges, too, Mary Berry. So those three women are essentially not moving on. But the BBC has already said, like, well, we'll just make another baking show using these three talents and it'll be fine. So it's OK. OK, gotcha. Good. I wish, uh, I wish America's um, controversies were like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they did have Brexit. So, you know, they've got their own issues. But yeah, <laughs> it was so- certainly a, a, a lighter comedy and it's. <laughs> It's one of those shows, like, I read an article about how the um, the two hosts who, like, they're comedians, they're hilarious, um, sh- they basically said that when the show first started out, um, if they saw producers trying to elicit, like, tears from a contestant, you know, like, tell us about your great-grandmother who made this recipe and she's dead now, or, you know, somebody messed up and got upset, they would deliberately walk over to where they were recording and just start swearing because it meant that the footage would be unusable. Um, and they did stuff like that just to keep the tone like not dramatic, really light, really refreshing, really, really nice. So it's a really good show. I appreciate that it's not one of these, like every cooking show is very in your face. You yeah, know. you know, intense music, high yeah. drama. This is just like nice regular people who take the train in for the weekend and they bake one particular thing and they're they're great. So, um, All right, Harper, what's your pick for the week? Well, I'll go with something uh, dark and brooding then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to say Westworld because I've been enjoying the hell out of the doing the HBO show. Um, just recently watched the movie for the first time, too, which was uh, a pretty fun watch. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm loving the new show. Obviously, it's um, dredging up a lot of stuff that some uh, some folks in our uh, in our circles um or saying, you know, that it steals a lot from Dollhouse and, and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm sure it does, but I'm uh, I'm actually really, really enjoying it. It's um it's fascinating and extraordinarily well done and um and I really like the cast a lot so far. So yeah, it's first show in a while that I've been like I think about it like every day, like waiting for it to come on. I, I actually I usually hate watching shows while they're on. I much prefer to kind of um you know, watch them on DVD at my leisure. But uh, this is one that I'm I'm waiting week to week for sure so far. 
um, I, I like those first two episodes I saw. Um, a, you know, I think the second episode was probably better than the first. Uh, I'm still waiting for you know some characters to get attached to, which is probably the only the only like sort of straggling flaw I have. But I think the second episode sort of developed that a little bit. No, yeah. no spoilers or anything. But um, yeah, I I also am glad to see to see Jimmy Simpson get some work in a not gross role. But there's still milk, so it's consistent. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> that had to be intentional. <laughs> it's always sunny. Yeah, he has to have milk. Yeah, but I mean, there, there's a lot of good talent behind that show, man. I mean, yeah, you, you've got you've got Jonathan Nolan, you know, who uh, uh, is obviously Christopher Nolan's brother, but he's you know was behind Person of Interest, which I know Cal is a big fan of that, and. Um, Ed Brubaker's uh, supervising producer and wrote one of the episodes this season. You've got a couple of directors who were involved with Hannibal, like Vincenzo Natali, directing an episode. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Neil Marshall, who was director of The Descent and many Game of Thrones episodes, probably some of the best Game of Thrones episodes, mm-hmm. directing an episode this season, too. Uh, there's there's just a lot of stuff being thrown on there, plus a really good cast with like James Marsden and Evan Rachel Wood and uh, a number of uh, – and Anthony Hopkins and Harris. Great performers. So it's, it's you know it, – It's it, super solid, I think. They, I don't know how you can make a whole series out of it. Five years. Yeah. <laughs> Is that really what they're planning? Yes. Five wow. years. That's really hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a really really fascinating um, kind of uh, look at like you know video game culture and and escapism and and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I mean it's it's poignant in some pretty interesting ways that are that are uh, you know pretty prescient. But uh, five seasons, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Cal, I can't remember. Are you are you are you watching HBO these days? I don't I don't remember. <laughs> I intend to. I've just been so busy the last few weeks. And uh, honestly, I I downloaded like, um, I don't know why I did that. I'm a a fucking idiot, I guess. Uh, I downloaded like 12 books onto my Kindle uh, about two weeks ago. And so I've just been doing basically nothing but reading and playing Overwatch and trying to start cooking again. And that's it. Like I've fallen way behind in all of my other hobbies because I'm trying to make my way through this not now. It's not just a stack of physical books. It's a stack of Kindle books too. I'm. <laughs> I need one of you to like be my financial consultant and tell me to just say no every time I ask if I can buy a book. Oof, I'm not the person to do that. Um, <laughs> all right, well, Cal. Well, since, since since you're since you're in the habit here, uh, what, what what why don't you tell me what your picks of the week are? Uh Oh gosh, uh, I'm actually I'm gonna go with uh, a movie. I'm I'm actually writing a review of it right now, um, but I, I really like this movie. Even if I think the the last five minutes or so drops the ball a little bit, I really like the movie a lot. And it's uh, called Demon. Mm. It's a Polish film by a director named Marcin Rona, who. Uh, unfortunately, about a week after its premiere in uh, Toronto last year, uh, Rona committed suicide. And so this is his final film. It's only his second movie. He was quite young when he when he died. And um, I went in kind of blind. Like I saw that it had gotten pretty good reviews from a few people I trust. Um, and uh, I was in Cleveland. Uh, uh, um, and I was just like, oh, shit, I'll check it out. And I was really, really impressed. Um, it's a, uh, it's one of those rare movies that I see where I'll watch the first like 15, 20 minutes. And I'll be like, oh man, this is a really, really uh, brilliant premise, but they're going to fuck it up. Like, I'm just, I, I want to steal this premise and keep it in mind for a story that I'll write one day. That'll probably be better. Um, Cause there's no way they're going to do it right. And they just like, this movie just was one up on me every every step of the way. The premise is a guy named uh, Piotr has moved back to Poland uh, after living in the UK for many years to marry a uh, kind of local beauty named Janetka. And Janetka's parents don't know him. They don't really trust him. But um, the two of them want to get married. They They love each other. And so... They dive in, and to prove himself, uh, Piotr is going to restore 
uh, Jeanette's grandfather's house, and they'll live in it, and um, you know the family can visit and all that. But almost the entire movie takes place on the night of their wedding, uh, because the night before, while he's doing some work, he accidentally unearths a skeleton in the soil outside of this house. And after he does that, he starts acting a little bit odd, but you aren't entirely sure if he's just drunk because they are drinking nonstop this movie or if he's possessed by a demon. And so the whole movie takes place at the wedding and the reception, essentially, and it walks this tightrope between is he drunk or is he possessed by a demon? And are the party guests ignoring it because they think he's drunk or are they ignoring it because they know more than they're letting on? And so it's this really uh, creepy, dark comedy uh, about this wedding that goes horribly wrong. Man, I really want to see that movie. And it was supposed to come to Atlanta and I don't think it ever did. That sounds cool, though. Yeah. Like I saw it the other day. It looks great. Yeah. Dang it. I uh, <laughs> is, is it available to like stream yet? Uh, in December. It comes out on Amazon Instant in December. All right. I can. Well, I've waited this long. Wait, yeah. I can wait two months, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that that's a great concept. And I'm always interested in in Dibbox, you know, stretching back to a serious, serious man, man, really. So uh, the, the the myth of the Dibbock is, uh, is is something I would like to uh, see a good movie about rather than that. Seeing Scott Derrickson, that crappy one that he made with Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh, like a year ago or whatever. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah, I remember that. Deliver Us from Evil, I think it was called. This is way better than that. Don't worry. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> and I, I will also say the lead actor, uh, uh, Itay Tehran, is almost certainly going to be my pick for best, best male actor of the year. He wow, was cool. fantastic in this. That's awesome. Glad to hear that. I, I, yeah, I can't wait to see it, man. Um, hey, Shane, what's what's your pick, man? Um, I know we'll be talking about it later, probably into this month, beginning of next month. Uh, but just to be kind of brief, um, I'm going to go with uh, Shade the Changing Girl, number one, because I was not expecting to like that comic as much as I did. But so far, this young animal line is two for two for me. I haven't read the issue of Doom Patrol that came out today, but so far what I've read is two for two for me, so... Yeah, I'll definitely check out Shade. Yeah, I'm, 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 I can't wait to talk about Young Animal in yeah. detail next month. Once we uh, get to that, once every once every issue comes out of each book or each each first issue comes out uh, post Mother Panic, we're going to have a whole podcast about just Young Animal. So that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, for me, my pick of the week is uh, FX's Atlanta, which is the Donald Glover uh, thirty minute. Uh, I don't know, dramatic sitcom? I'm not really sure how to describe it. Yeah, dramedy is definitely the wrong word, but it, it it's dark humor. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me a lot of Louie, but, but, you know, based in Atlanta and around hip-hop culture instead of, uh, you know... Comedian culture. Comedian yeah. culture in New York, you know. Uh, it, I, I, I'm very impressed with the, the uh, Donald Glover's writing chops, which I was not familiar with at all prior to this. Um, it, it's a show where he plays a... Uh, plays one of those guys that sells credit cards uh, at the Atlanta airport that uh, you, if you ever walk through there, you, you get harassed to get an American Express card from them. And uh, he has basically no money. Uh, he's got a child with his estranged girlfriend he still lives with. And his cousin happens to blow up with a hip hop single uh, called Paperboy. And he decides he wants to try and become his manager because he thinks that this is going to be a wellspring of money down here in the hip hop capital of the South, Atlanta. And uh, it's a show that really sort of tackles that culture, sort of masculinity, uh, as well as uh, a good deal of mystical realism, uh, which is really shocking to me. And it's quite funny and quite astute and well written and. Uh, I, I was blown away even by the first episode, and I think it just kind of keeps getting better and better. And I ha they haven't had a bad episode yet, and I've seen uh, most of the ones that are out now. So that's my pick probably for best new show of the year at this point. Um, but we'll see how it continues to go. Um, anyhow, that's, uh, that is my pick of the week. And I think based on the time we've got here, I need to probably wrap it up. So if there's any other last thoughts from anybody before we close. Mm. 
Nope. Okay. Speak now, prayer, bold your peace. Uh, this, this has been uh, this episode of the Geek Rex Podcast. Join us next week when we talk about one of Hannah's picks, Black Hole, uh, for our comics club, which is Black Hole by Charles Burns, uh, one of the uh, benchmarks of comic book arts and indie black and white comics. I can't wait to discuss it a little further uh, with a little more detail uh, next week. So we'll we'll see you then. Thank you.